Once again, thank you for this opportunity to come and spend some time with you. As I mentioned in the earlier service, I used to make this drive quite often. Um, when I served as the senior pastor of the Castellita Drive Church, just about five minutes from here, and served as the communication director for Southwest Region Conference for about seven years. So it is a pleasure to be on this side of town making that drive. Um, I am not accompanied with family this day. My, my wife and my kids are, or my adult children that still live in my house that need to get out um, are home uh, due to the coronavirus. My daughter is spending her, doing her master's online from Austin. And then my son is in his third year of uh, Oakwood, and he is home. But he's contemplating going back in January. I'm like, praise the Lord, yes. See that electric bill go down. Food remain in the fridge. Yes, yes. You know, we were empty nesters when we were, before coming back here to Texas, we were at Oakwood, uh, served as the Director of Public Relations and Integrated Marketing. Uh, we were empty nesters. Distinctly, one day we were sitting on the couch just enjoying each other's company and uh, watching something on TV, and uh, uh, we hear the garage door open up. And we were like, Who is this? And our kids walk in with bags, and, and we're like, What are you doing? Like, Oh, we just wanted to hang out with y'all tonight. No, 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 no. We sent you away, we sent you away. But uh, it's good to have them around. We also have our grandson and my daughter-in-law uh, with us, and uh, he, he is uh, 18 months and growing. So you can imagine that we have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but once again, it's a pleasure to be with you on this second service. And um, for those that were with us in the first service, thank you for tuning in again. Um, I guarantee you will probably hear the exact same message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for, once again, the opportunity for your word to come alive to us, to teach us and to guide us, Lord, to strengthen us, to move us in the direction that you would have us to go in. And Lord, we ask once again today that you would send your Holy Spirit to just speak to us, Lord. In these moments, uh, use this, this, this frail vessel, Lord, to present your perfect word uh, to your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you or your devices, I ask that you would turn to Mark chapter 8. The title of the message is entitled The Intoxication of Power. Mark chapter 8, when you look at this chapter, it speaks about the beginning with the feeding of the 4,000, but then it ends with what would it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? How does this journey go along? You know, a few months back, a few weeks back, uh, I was reading the Wall Street, uh, Washington Post, uh, and it was, I came across this article entitled The Intoxication of Power by Alice Love. And the article was about politicians and how they would do anything and say anything for power. She goes on to say this. She says, somehow as positional power transmutes into personal power, 
They drank the Kool-Aid and were hooked. Power, like mainline heroin, imparts a euphoria that leaves the individual wanting more. This is not only for politicians, but also celebrities and self-important individuals, and yes, even, even church members. Power is addicting. It's intoxicating. It pulls you into an atmosphere that creates a desire for, guess what? More power. This, according to Isaiah chapter 14, was the downfall for Lucifer. He wanted power. He wanted to be God. He could not stay where he was. He wanted to be in a better position or wanted to be in the ultimate position. And Jesus provides us with a warning of the danger of following the teachings of not only shady politicians and political figures, but also political figures masked as religious influencers because the result is the same ruin. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The Bible says this, and I'm going to take you to uh, Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 27 through 30, and then we're going to jump back through this chapter. It says in verse 27, And now Jesus and his disciples went out of the town of, of Caesarea uh, uh, Philippi, and on the road he asked, his, uh, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? Some answered John the Baptist, but others said Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, that, that, that vulturous Peter, willing to say anything, do anything, and chop people's ears off, said, and he said to them, but he said, he said uh, 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 but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should not tell anyone about him. We see as we look through this chapter that, that, that Jesus is peering into the soul of his disciples. And particularly in Mark chapter 8, the story of the feeding of the 4,000, it is a story that leans us into the importance of understanding what constitutes true power. Because you see, Jesus knew what was in his disciples. He understood they desired to have power. He, and, 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 and they were blinded by this because you look at it. Jesus had fed the 4,000. He had fed uh, 5,000 before. And now his disciples are thinking about the possibilities. The possibilities of having a, an individual in charge of everything. An individual that can create an army. And if any of them get sick, he can heal them. Any of them get hurt, he can raise them up. Any of them are killed, he can raise them from the dead. An army that will always be fed. He, they were thinking about the possibilities. How do we know this? Because we would do the exact same thing. Think about the possibilities of having the power that Jesus had. But you know, power has a problem. There's a problem with this because it causes ignorance. See, Mark focuses on, and, and his question is simply this, why couldn't the disciples and the Jewish leaders see Jesus' true identity? 
There was proof given throughout the book of Mark. When we look at Mark chapter, uh, chapter 1, we see that Jesus uh, is, is, is identified here and he's healing the sick and casting out demons. We look at chapter 5, he casts out a demon uh, of the demoniac and, and he restores life to the little girl who, who died. And, and then the woman who was affirmed with the, with the issue of love in chapter 6, we see him feeding the 5,000 and walking on the water. In chapter 7, he casts out demon child and he, he, he restores a, a voice to a mute child. And in chapter 8, he's feeding the 4,000. Why did they miss the clues? How can this possibly be? It's the same reason we miss the clues because see simply this is that the concept of power and personal agenda prevents us from seeing Jesus as the son of God. You know power is a blinding force that creates ignorance. We only see what we desire to see and we ignore the facts no matter how blatant, honest, or how blaring they are in front of our faces, we ignore the facts because of fear of being wrong. It was one of the major factors of the disciples not understanding Jesus' mission. The disciples were blinded about Jesus' death, even though he told them on many different occasions, their desire for power and social standing closed their ears and their eyes to the power of his death and his mission. They lost the meaning of the cross and focused on the power. Serving others was the only and the most important thing for the disciples. And I dare say today that serving others is true power. See, Mark's critique was simply this. Human sinfulness resides in our misconceived politically instincts or misunderstanding of power. We are willing to sell our souls out for just a little bit of perceived power. You know, you probably experienced it, nominating committees coming about, and we go through this whole exercise of let's have a day of fasting and prayer. And as we lead into officers for the new the new, the new season of, of, of office serving. We, we fast and we pray. We make it a, a moment of, of, of prayer time and we, we contemplate and then we come together and we get a wonderful devotional at the beginning of the nominated committee. And then all of a sudden, someone's name comes up for a position and all of a sudden the hand goes, no, they can't serve because... And for the next few hours, there's a fight over positions. What happened to the spiritual exercise before? It's about power. I've said this before, and I'm always fascinated by this, is that we, are pers- we want power for a volunteer organization in a church desiring to create our own agenda. Power. It's different if you're getting paid for it. But, but I have sat in meetings I've sat in nominating committees. I've sat in constituency sessions where people are willing to drag people through the cold and destroy their lives for a volunteer position. And why? Is it, and here, here's why. Here's why. There are many people that approach biblical things philosophically, and they use a reason to gain answers to scriptural things and things out of the scriptures. This is somehow gives them the power they wish. 
But it's a fatal flaw because the Bible must be approached theologically with faith and trust that God knows what he is doing. And it must be viewed with the cross and the first and the second and the concluding conclusion in order to fully understand power and salvation. You see, I want to leave these four things with you. The desire for power produces four things that Jesus addressed with his disciples. The first thing produces an ignorance or spiritual blindness. Look at your Bibles back in at Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 17. We're backing up here a little bit. It says, and Jesus, uh, but Jesus being aware of this, he said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not, uh, do you not yet perceive nor understand is your heart still hard? Let me, let me just kind of back up a little bit and give you an insight into this. See, the point here is that Jesus is telling his disciples that are you so blinded by what you want that you have failed to see what you need to see? Because if we look at this and let's start with verse, let's go back to verse, uh, let's go back to verse 12. It says, but he sighed deeply in his is this generation seeking a sign? Now, surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. In verse 13, and then he left them and he got into the boat again and departed to the other side. And now his disciples were, had, been, had forgotten to take bread with them and they did not have more than one loaf with them. See, Jesus had just fed the 4,000. And he, as he said the 4,000, the disciples were, were mesmerized by the fact that there were still seven baskets full that were picked up. And so now Jesus gets in a boat. And you can only imagine the scene here now. Everybody's feeling good. You just heard that sermon being preached and he broke the bread, gave the fish, and people were fed. People's hearts were moved. And now the disciples get on it. And it was almost like Jesus just dropped a mic, gets on the boat. The disciples are sitting there. Everybody's enjoying themselves. And Jesus is kind of just looking off and, and contemplating and speaking with his father in his mind and his disciples like man did you see that did you see it oh man this is good and though jesus jesus is like wow i mean disciples are like wow and now the disciples had forgotten to take bread with them they had one loaf then he charged them saying take heed beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod why did Jesus say this? Why did Jesus make this, this statement about a religious group and a political figure or religious political figure? Why did he make this statement? He was telling his disciples that, listen, you want the power of the Pharisees and you also want this political. You want the religious and the political. You want this thing to get. But I'm telling you, it is wrong. And so now he says, beware of these things. And they reason in themselves in verse 16 saying, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Say, like, wait. You think I'm talking about wonder bread? You think I'm talking about bread? And I'm sitting there saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And you sitting there worried about bread? Jesus, I can almost imagine Jesus saying, what? Wait, wait, no, not bread. What are you, what are you talking about? And then he goes on. Look what he says. He says in verse 16, he said, and they reasoned themselves that they, that they didn't have no bread. And Jesus was aware of this. And he said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hard? Look at Mark chapter 6, just a couple of chapters forward. Mark chapter 6 
and verse 53. Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. Jesus had just walked on the water. Jesus, the Bible tells us that, and he said, and he, they were rowing, they were fighting the thing, and Jesus walks on the water, comes to them. And then for they had saw him, and they were troubled, but immediately they talked with him. And he said, be of good cheer. And when he said, and he got into the boat with them, the wind had ceased. And it says, for they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Jesus is telling us something. He said, the reason why we don't understand certain things because we have agendas. The agenda for power. We want what we want. That's our goal. But the point is simply that you, he said to his disciples, do you not understand? Verse 18, back in Mark chapter 8, he says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not, under, do not, do you not remember? When I broke the loaves of bread of 5,000, how many baskets did we have? 12. And I broke the, 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 the seven for the 4,000, how many did we have left? Oh, seven. It says that in verse 21, it says, how is it that you do not understand? It is because of the hardness of heart. So Jesus now has to move them in a direction. He says, now we see that he has to, has to move them to more of an understanding. In verse, uh, verse uh, 22, now they go into Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and then they see a blind man. The Bible tells us, he says in verse, verse 22, and he says, and the blind, man, uh, he, the blind man and the beggar, he touched him. In verse 22, and he says, 23, he says, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. He had spit in his eyes, he put his hands on him, and he asked him what if he could see anything. And he looked and he said, I see, I see men like trees walking. And then he touched his eyes again, and then he said, what do you see now? And the Bible says that he saw everyone clearly. And then he charged him not to say anything. But here's the thing. Jesus has just told his disciples, you're blind. Let me show you how this happens. Let me show you how spiritual power works to get what needs to happen. He takes the blind man, takes him out and says, he says, listen, Eclipse, you can see. So in other words, he tells his disciples like, you can always see, but yet you're blind. This man just received sight and he can see. Jesus used the healing of the blind man and how we can pass through the blindness of power and move to the spiritual understanding of power, which is through the self-sacrifice. See, what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is simply this. To serve others is true power. It's true power. And that's why he asked simply the, the disciples. He said he had to put this preference in here. He says, you know, who do men say that I am? But I ask the question, why do men say who I am? Is it because they have an agenda? Is it, no, it's, it's, we need to understand who Jesus is. He says, why or who do men say that I am? And they go through this whole thing and it says, and then Peter, in verse 29, he says, but, but, but Peter, who do they say I am? He says, you are the Christ. But watch this. In verse 31, Jesus is trying to move his disciples to understand the purpose of serving others. He says, listen. You think you have power, but you need to understand that real, true power is serving and suffering for others. Verse 31, and then he began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and then be rejected by the elders, be re rejected by the scribes, and be killed in three days raised again. In other words, the church will reject you. Those around you will reject you. Why? Because you're doing things that don't make sense. 
But then he says in verse 32, he says, and he spoke these things openly. And then Peter took him aside and rebuked him. But then Jesus to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. The desire for power by a church or an individual is satanic. It is satanic. When we fail to care for others, no matter what or who they are, we're doing the work of the devil. I said this earlier this morning, I said I want to thank the, the, the sister for cleaning off the, the mics and to, to, to putting the things out there uh, to make sure that, that we are safe. Why? Because it's not about who or what or what political affiliation. It's about caring for others. See, the problem is this, is that the example that God gives us is a simple one. Watch this. For many years, we have said, what? We are Christians. We are followers of God. We love the Lord. We, we will do all things for him. But now God gives us a pandemic. He gives us social unrest. And now we have to demonstrate who we really are. And unfortunately, we are failing in some aspects. But why? Let's just take, let's just take a simple wearing of a mask. Listen, the wearing of a mask is to protect not me. It's to protect me from you. Or in you from me. I don't wear a mask because I'm trying to keep from getting sick from you. I'm trying to keep you from getting sick from me. See, that's the, that's the difference. But here we have today, we've made a mask an issue. And we're like, oh, no, I won't wear it. You're taking my God-given rights. I don't want to do it. Because God said, I'm going to send a pandemic to make you phony Christians really any up and show if you really love your, man, your, 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 your fellow man. I'm going to allow social unrest due to police brutality to come into play and see how you respond. And let me tell you right now, being someone that monitors social media quite a bit, we are not doing well. Christians. My wife and I were having this conversation not too long ago. We have had to we've had to unfriend friends for years. Because we have a tendency to say things on social media because we don't think anybody's listening. We have an open forum, but we are Christian. But we, oh, you know, you know, you know, black and brown people, they just got issues. They just don't understand police. You know, I'm always amazed about how People respond to people. So God said, I'm going I'm, I'm to allow a pandemic to pull out the true nature of the church. Pastor, 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 listen, you know, we open our church and, um, you know, uh, can you please send us a letter uh, from the conference office so that we can open our church? No, we've already said what the no, but pastor, listen, the, the pastor, he doesn't want to open a church because his wife has a sickness and his daughter has an illness. And so can, can we still open a church without him? I'm like, I don't think the issue is that, the, that you want to open the church. I think the issue is that you don't really care that the pastor and his family are, are, have preconditions or, or you don't care about the elderly of the church. Or you, you, I mean, you just want, pastor, listen, we got to open the doors. Why? Because we're not fellowshipping. OK, if you're not fellowshipping, then what? Are you not sharing the gospel? Well, we, you know, we've already reached our community. I'm telling you, the things we get now, 
shows us truly who we really are. So Jesus is trying to say to them, do you not understand? The power that you desire is satanic. The power that I give is everlasting. The second thing that we, 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 we end up receiving uh, with the intoxication of power, it, it, creates, it creates an alternative identity. That's why Jesus says, beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and Herod. The desire will even cause it us. Unfortunately, to even kill. Look at look at Mark, uh, Mark chapter uh, eight and verse 15. It says this. It says, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And then look at Luke chapter 12 and verse one. Luke 12 and verse one. It simply says this. It says Luke 12 and verse one. It says um, it says. In the meantime, with an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they had trampled one another. He began to say to to speak to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven and the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let me give you one more text before we talk about this. Matthew chapter uh, 16 and verse 12. Matthew 16 and verse 12. Look at the Bible says here, Matthew 16 and verse 12. It simply says this. And they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The teachings of individuals will cause individuals to seek power, but yet it is hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? The simple definition of hypocrisy is this. The practice of claiming to be more to have moral standards or belief to which one's behavior does not conform. Now, I have always in my almost my 20 years of ministry, I have always been considered a straight shooter. But every time I come across this text, and the Bible makes it very clear that hypocrisy, it, you know, it says, you know, beware of the teachings of the Pharisees because it is hypocrisy. It, it's simply, simply this is that we as Christians have for so long said that we are followers of Christ. But for some reason, like Gandhi said, listen, I love the Christ in Christianity, but not the Christians in Christianity. You'll get that next week. The, the, the thing is, is that we have for so long said that we, we are this and we are that, but yet our actions do not mirror the way we treat others. And there's only, you know, by this you will know that you are my disciples when you have hatred one for another. I don't know if you know the statistics of, of, and the history of, of, of the Christian church, but the majority of the Christian church, unfortunately, listen, we're all in this thing, but the majority of the Christian church in the, in the exceptions and, and all of these different things that, that transpired when these denominations were formed, most of them did not like people of color. I don't know if you knew this. Let me trivia question right here. I like history, so let me throw this out to you. What happened in 1844? The great disappointment. What else? Nothing else? Let me tell you something that I found really interesting. In 1844, also something else happened. The split in the Methodist Church as well as in the Southern Baptist Church, uh, Baptist Church, that created the Southern Baptist Church and the, the Methodist Church. There was a split in 1844 over the, over the issue of race. Now, 
this thing, and 70% at the time in 1844, 70% of the Christian faith was made up of these two denominations. You are my disciples when you have love one for another. So we've gone through these years and we've carried this thing out and, and we've been basically hypocrites. And I, and I don't just speak about just our church. There's history in our church, too. If you don't know the history in our church, please, I recommend you probably look at the history of our church. But the difference with our church is that it started out right. See, most churches start off wrong in a certain thing, and then they, they kind of progress over time. We started out right, then started getting it wrong, And now we're trying to get back to where it's right. But we're living in this time where God is saying, you've had 200, 300 years of saying that you love me. Prove it. Well, Lord, you know, I prove it. I I, I feed the homeless and I, uh, you know, community service and create these different programs. But you know what's interesting is that these things don't last. Why? Because God is saying, prove it, prove it continuously. I remember when, this, when the pandemic hit in, 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 in uh, March and uh, April. I remember it was March. You know, everybody was excited. Oh, how can we reach the community? How can we test the community? Let's test the, test the lives of the And then it was like June. Man, we tired. We started getting calls. You know, is it, do we still have to? Do we still have to? Do we still have to? Is it still a pandemic? Yeah, but, but it's not really affecting us. What? And I had, to, I had everyone I've talked to and every church member or every pastor that's called me, every teacher that's called with, with, with this desire to, to kind of move things along. I just remind them. I said, listen, for those of us who have lost loved ones, we can't move things along. For those of us that have family members that pre-condition or pre-existing conditions, you know, we can't move things along. For, for some of us who have uh, loved ones who work in the, in the healthcare field, we can't just move things along. But we have this alternative. We, we want to be like Christ, but not act like Christ. The third thing. That when we seek the intoxication of power, we receive, we become materialistic and moral, uh, excuse me, and carnal minded. In verse 34, the Bible says this uh, back in Mark chapter 8. And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, What desire? Uh, whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, for whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses life for my sake and the gospel will be saved. See, the difference is, is that Jesus is saying that, that he did not come to give power, but to give the cross. You've got to suffer. Mark is saying that to take up the cross is through power. But because we are such a haste to receive the power, we miss the cross. We want the power and then become worse than the world who has power. We 
skip over this thing. And look what it goes on to say. It says, for what shall a man, in verse 30, 36, for what, for what will it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? But then in verse 37, or what will he exchange for his soul? What will you give up to sell God out? In essence, every day Satan comes to us and says, what, what can I offer you? To sell Jesus out. What can I offer you? A promotion on your job? What can I offer you? I can offer you money. What can I offer you? Come on. Everyone has a price. Everyone. What is your price? Maybe it's that wonderful post that you, that, that you know in the back of your mind you shouldn't click, click share or post. But you, you have to, you know, you just have to say, you got to speak your mind because, you know, we Texans, we love to speak our mind. Satan is like, what can I, what can I do? Man, what can I do? Christ's object lesson says this in 337, three, uh, 337 and 330, uh, excuse me, 373 and 374. It says this, every, every year, millions upon millions of human souls are passing into eternity, unwarned, unsaved, days, weeks, months are passing. We are one day, one month, one month, uh, one week, one month less in which to do our work. But into one scale, Jesus, which means eternal treasures, life, truth, heaven and joy of Christ and souls redeemed, put put into every attraction of the world can offer, weighing the time and for eternity while we thrust and engage. Christ speaks. What shall it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? Every moment, Christ is trying to push us towards doing what is right. And the last thing that we receive when we have this intoxication of power is that the desire to be greater than someone else. Look at Mark chapter 10. Just a couple chapters over. Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 43. 43 says this. Mark 10, 43 says, And Jesus uh, called upon him and said, you know that those who are cons- uh, who who are concerned considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord over them, and their greater ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you, but whosoever desires to be great among you shall be a servant. For whoever, whoever of you desires to first shall be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for us all. Jesus is simply saying that the cross is the true power. If you want to get intoxicated on anything, let it be the cross. Accepting church office or even a career in politics or even getting power from whatever source, if it's not about the cross, it's a wasted endeavor. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. It says, it says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are preaching, that those that are perishing, excuse me. But for who it is, the, it is being saved, it is the power of God. It is foolishness to those that hear it. Why do you think when we start talking about the word of God to people, they get all flustered and want to move away from it? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's foolish. We have, we, have, we have created a society where we can departmentalize and we can compartmentalize different issues. Like we can, we can, be, we can be racist and bigots and yet still be church people. We can, we can, we can, we can still lie and, 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 and do whatever we want and yet still be in good and regular standing. We can, we can watch, eat, do whatever we want outside of what the Bible says, yet still... Be godly. That's what it tells us. But what would it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? See, the supreme test of service is this. For whom am I doing this? What's your motive? Which, much of what we call service to Christ is not service at all. If we are doing this for Christ... We shall not care for human reward or even recognition. Our work must again be tested by three propositions. Is it work from God as given to us from him to do? Is it work for God as finding in him its secret power? And is it work with God as only a part of his work in which we engage as co-labor? Church, I tell you this, if you don't remember anything I say on this, remember this. God has allowed this moment in history for you to be alive, this moment in history for you to be alive, to be a living witness to him. You may lose family. You may lose friends, you may lose your job, and ultimately you may lose your life. But do you want to be a witness to him? There were two brothers, two English brothers, who took different paths in life. One went into the, the uh, diplomatic service to make a name for himself. The other answered the call of God to be a missionary in Africa. Several years later, the British volume of Who's Who uh, had many columns that were devoted to the missionary brother. Under the long list of accomplishments appeared the name of his diplomatic brother, followed by the simple words next to it, Member of Parliament. One brother lost his life only to find it, and the other brother sought to save his life, only to lose it. What would it profit a man this gain, to gain this whole world and to lose his soul? God asks this question every single day. And he wants to know from you, will you sell him out? Will you sell him out? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Father in heaven, Lord, as we are in this place, we're here during this time 
in 2020. Experiencing the things that we are experiencing because you said that we could handle this. Because you have been accused of not being a fair God. Not being a loving God. And, and Lord, you have even been accused of creating individuals who are selfish, who are high-minded, who are haters, who are deceivers, who are murderers. Lord, you have been accused of that, but we know that that is the devil. But Father, today, you're asking us to be a witness in the midst of all that we are in right now, in the midst of our own personal struggles, in the midst of our own failures, in the midst of our own letdowns, in the midst of our own craziness that's happening in our lives. Lord, you see that people are looking at us and said, how can you be an example of Christ? How can you live up to the standards of Christ? But you have said in your word, if I be lifted up, you would draw all men unto me. You've said in your word that it is not I, but it is Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Lord, you said that you would come in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And so therefore, Lord, it is an indictment against you if you don't come in us and live out your life. But first, we must invite you in. We must be serious. So, Father, today, once again, with the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask for you to send us your son to live out your life, his life in us. Lord, we know that it may cost us our lives. But as Paul has said, to live. To die is gain. So, Lord, we live for you. I pray for this church. I pray for the pastor and his family, the leadership of this church, the school, and all the members. Lord, I ask that you would bless them. There is a work to be done. It is a work that we can do when we work with you. The vineyard that you've called this church to be is here in Garland. Lord, empower them. Let them not be weary in well-doing. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.